Heavenly Father, we pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit that our hearts might be ready for your Son, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. We have a boredom problem in our culture. This is not anything new. We've heard already from Genesis that there Adam and Eve were in the garden and they saw what they thought to be a better option, and so they took it. In the same way in our culture, we are deathly afraid of being bored, but we find ourselves being mastered by boredom. In the one words of one author, we are boring ourselves to death, whether that's through the overstimulation of social media or smartphones or even special effects in movies, nothing in our world today is left to the imagination. And so we are all on a quest in the midst of our desensitization to find something more. When was the last time you were overwhelmed by something, that you stood in awe of its majesty, its transcendence, its greatness, and it undid you? I think it's this feeling that has put so much pressure on Christmas. How many of us long, if not work, eagerly for Christmas past? Those Christmases when we were children, when everything was right in the world, when Christmas wasn't just a day, it was an experience. But we still sense this when we smell something being made in the kitchen and immediately we're transported back. Or as we decorate our trees, we pull an ornament out and immediately we remember mom or dad or a grandparent. It's no wonder we have radio stations playing Christmas music the day after Halloween. Now, I felt this way for a long time, putting this expectation on Christmas to be something that it really wasn't. A terrible circumstance in my family led to no family Christmas celebrations for a number of years. But it was in this time that I realized that my heart was oriented toward the wrong thing. And of all places, it happened just a few days before Christmas in the Sahara Desert. A friend and I, after September 11th, being young and idiots, uh, we realized we could get cheap airfare to Arab nations. And so we uh, headed off uh, to North Africa, to Tunisia, which is a beautiful country with beautiful people. And we went out in the Sahara on camelback for uh, almost two weeks. And while we were out there, part of our parties, other than our uh, Muslim guides, were two young women from Singapore and one guy from England. And the only way I can describe this guy from England is he was, El he was an English version of Elmer Fudd <laughs> in the way that he spoke. And uh, there we were around the campfire. We had nothing really to talk about, but as the night went on and the stars came out in the middle of the desert with no city human-made lights around us except for the fire in front of us, to say that it was breathtaking is an understatement. And much to my shock, the two girls from Singapore began to sing Silent Night. And the man from England 
after we had finished singing, which I thought was a rather holy moment, said, I hate cowls. I hate Christmas. That's why I'm here. Well, what was he saying? He thought he wanted to run away from, it is funny, you can laugh. he wanted to get away from Christmas, and so he thought of all places where he could get away from the incarnate Word of God made flesh was the middle of the Sahara Desert. But even there, you cannot escape the truth of God's magnificence and transcendence, which is not only displayed in his creation, but is magnified even by his Word and even the words of a hymn, Silent Night. You see, We all have to worship something. We're all built for worship. And rather than worship the God-man Jesus Christ, my English friend was looking for something else to fill that void. He wanted nothing to do with Christmas because it was simply a letdown for him. And like him, we often worship the wrong thing. And as we've given in to ourselves to satisfy our desires for stimulation, we've lost any sense of awe, mystery, or transcendence. We long to be overwhelmed, but everything has been reduced to the ordinary, even Christmas. As we grow into adulthood, we pretty much move beyond gifts. And I don't know about you, but if I want something, You know, a long time ago, I would say, oh, that's what I want for Christmas. But now I buy it in November and just use it then. But we're given moments of perspective. And Luke chapter 1 gives us that. Pregnancy has a way of giving you some perspective in life. When Lauren, my wife, was pregnant with our first child, Lily, she went uh, to the obstetrician to schedule an inducement date uh, with my mother-in-law. And I should have been there uh, because uh, they decided on a day in April that just so happened to conflict with my annual religious pilgrimage to Augusta, Georgia. (laughs) And not only... Uh, was this birth going to be an interruption of my divinely ordained plans, Uh, but in successive years, it would be a problem. Uh, And yet I really didn't get it because even when Lily's first birthday was coming around, I said to Lauren, well, I think I'm going to go this year. And she said, but it's your daughter's birthday. I said, yeah, but it's her first birthday. She won't know if I'm there or not. (laughs) And Lauren said, I will. But of course, when you get pregnant, everything revolves around that. I mean, how many of us never got Christmas cards out or didn't do something that we would normally do and we say, well, everything was about the baby and we understand that. In the same way, Mary and Joseph were focused on this baby in the womb. What was Mary doing on Black Friday? Was she looking for deals? Was she fretting over the perfect Christmas dinner? No. At that point, she would have been eight months pregnant. In fact, I can only imagine what it would be like, and I can imagine her reluctance when she went to Bethlehem. At that point, what's worse than being almost nine months pregnant? Being nine months pregnant on a donkey. (laughs) But when you're pregnant, the baby's the focus. 
A baby's a great excuse. Why? Because we get it. And in the same way that Mary and Joseph's focus was on that baby in her womb, instead of getting ready for Christmas, we should get ready for Jesus. We want the experience, but it's about the person. Without the person of Jesus Christ, there is no experience. In Luke chapter 1, we find a pattern that is repeated throughout the scriptures. It's no different with Mary. God shows up, either manifests himself in whatever form, in this form, his messenger, the angel Gabriel, comes to declare the incarnation. And her response in verse 29 is like that of any other person. She's overwhelmed. What kind of greeting might this be? I'm deeply troubled. Woe be unto me. But then she's assured of God's favor. In the same way that in Isaiah chapter 6, we've heard a lot from today, the prophet Isaiah, when he encounters God in the year King Uzziah died, he's given a heavenly vision. And when the angels sing, Holy, 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 Lord God of hosts, heaven and earth are full of thy glory, he cries out, Woe be unto me, for I am a man of unclean lips. We've lost any sense of the holiness and transcendence of God. Are we deeply troubled? Woe be unto me. Our liturgy actually used to reflect this. Until 1928, after we sang the Sanctus, or said the Sanctus in the service of Holy Communion, Holy, 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 Lord God of hosts, heaven and earth are full of thy glory. Glory be to thee, O Lord Most High. Do you know what used to come next, what Cranmer had us do next until 1928? We dropped to our knees and we prayed. We do not presume to come to this thy table, O merciful Lord, trusting in our own righteousness, but in thy manifold and great mercies. We are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under thy table. And then we recalled the mighty works of Jesus Christ in the breaking of bread and the sharing of the cup of wine. But like Mary, who's given a word of comfort from Gabriel, you're favored. God has favored you. He's chosen you. Isaiah 2 is told that by the angels that that his guilt is taken away and his sin is atoned for. And in light of both of those instances in Isaiah, he then cries out, Here am I, Lord, send me. Mary says, Behold, I am your servant the servant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. She submits herself to God's call on her life. Though overwhelmed with the holiness of a righteous God, she understands what it means to have God's favor, and it's through the very baby that is in her belly. The great irony of experiencing the awesome presence of Almighty God is that it comes not by trying to limit it in some way so as to not make it ordinary, but it's to continually dwell in his presence, to continually seek after him, to stay focused on Jesus Christ. The closer you are to Jesus, the more amazing you find his grace. 
the more you feel his presence, the more we actually expect him to speak to us. Ordinary things become extraordinary. We find the creation of God to be more beautiful. We go from living in a world of black and white to a world of technicolor. This means also that we begin to see other things as they are. Our hearts are elated, but then they're dropped low when we see the plight of the exploited, and we grieve and cry out for justice. We see those in need and want to do all we can to help. We see the dying soul and want them to hear about this Jesus who has come into the world to make all things new through his death and resurrection. Coming into the presence of God, experiencing him in your own life is possible. First, we must understand who God is, but also who we are. Like Isaiah and like Mary, we need to understand our God is almighty and holy in whose presence we cannot stand. We need woe be unto me experiences. But we also need to understand, even in the midst of our sinfulness, understanding who we are, we need to come to grips over what he has done for you and me through Jesus Christ. Because of him, you have found favor in the eyes of an almighty God who is our father now, our daddy. Not because you've earned it, but because he loves you even in your own brokenness, full stop. And you can't even go to the Sahara Desert to escape him. He'll find you even there. And when we understand God's nature in that regard, we then give ourselves over to him, surrendering to him and his purposes and plans for our life. And then we stay close to the cross of Jesus Christ. We abide in his word. And when we do that, he abides in us and we in him. And like Mary and Isaiah and all the prophets of old, we remember we remember, we remember of God's humbling himself to come amongst us and to be born in a feeding trough. He comes to us as a baby, knowable, vulnerable, killable. And he dies for you and me that we might become children of God. Why do we celebrate Advent? It is because we need to be reminded that God is coming into the world. We prepare not for the season, but for the Son of God, Jesus Christ, in whom we find the magnificence, awe, and majesty that our hearts long for. Amen.